Section 17 of Mother Earth, Volume 1, Number 4, June 1906. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mario Pineda. Mother Earth, Number 4. The Game is Up, by Satakichi Harman. Hello, Morrison. May I come in? The door stood slightly ajar. Morrison came to the door. The complexion of his face was sallow, and his eyes had a peculiar look. He recognized his visitor, hesitated for a moment whether he should admit him, then opened the door and made a sort of mock courtesy. Cleaning up? The tall lean man asked as he entered the little hall room. Yes, and a wistful smile glided over Morrison's pale face. Cleaning up for good. The room had a peculiar appearance. There was no disorder, and yet a lot of things were lying about. It looked as if the lodger intended to go away on a long journey, and had tried to straighten up matters previous to his departure. The visitor gazed curiously about the room. He had a strange foreboding, but forced himself to ask in a jocular mood. Going to Egypt again? Farther than that this time, but it won't take so long. The journey, I am contemplating, will be over by tomorrow evening, I hope. What do you mean? The game is up. The tall lean man made no immediate reply. He merely gazed steadily into the face of his friend. He had always suspected that he would come to this some day. He really wondered that Morrison had not done it long ago. If any man had a right to dispose of his life, it was surely Morrison. He had endured more than most human beings. His case was absolutely hopeless. Is there no way out of it? Morrison shook his head. He wanted to say something, but his voice failed him. He stepped to the dresser near the window, looked into the mirror and arranged his faded threadbare tie. It was pitiful to see how shabbily he was dressed. He no longer set the fashion as in his days of success, years ago in Boston. Would money help you? And the tall visitor fumbled in his pockets. Although fairly well dressed, he was hard up most of the time and only ventured to broach the subject as he just happened to have a few dollars to spare that day. No, what good would the little do that you could give me? and he continued to adjust matters and tuck things away in his trunk. There, you are right again. Not much. But I won forty dollars on the track. I sometimes go out there, he added as a sort of excuse, as it is impossible to live in literature alone. I could spare ten. Can you really spare them? I won't be able to return them, you know. I would like to have them. I suppose you would refuse to let me buy a revolver with them. I will have all sorts of poisons, he pointed out to some little bottles, but I would prefer not to use them. It wouldn't be aesthetical. And then I want to go away to some place where nobody knows me. I don't want to be identified. The literary man slowly pulled a small roll out of his pocket. He thought of his wife and children who needed the money. It was really foolish to have made that offer. Well, it was probably the last service he could render his friend. Morrison was serious about his departure. There was no doubt about that. Here. Thanks, Morrison answered, though he did not take the money right away. He looked about absentmindedly as in a dream. This was friendship indeed. He had not believed that anybody could so completely enter another man's state of mind. Not a word of opposition. This was glorious. They had known each other for more than seventeen years. They had often drifted apart and somehow all had always met again. They had never been intimate. They had merely respected each other for the work they had accomplished, each in his profession, although they differed largely in ideas. Morrison was a sculpture, and almost an ancient Greek in his feelings for the beauty of lines. The tall lean man, on the other hand, was a strange mixture of a visionary and a brutal realist. 
They both were cynics, however, that found life rather futile. With the literary man, this was merely a theoretical viewpoint, while Morrison was really embittered with life. The incidents of this afternoon had surprised him. He was deeply moved and felt as if he should give utterance to his emotions. He remembered that his attitude towards his friend had been rather arrogant at times. He now felt sorry for it, but somehow he could not form his sentiments and thoughts into coherent sentences. Thanks, he simply repeated. Has anybody seen you enter the house? No. The door was open and I walked right up. Why do you ask? I don't want anybody to be mixed up in this affair, as it only concerns me. The literary man smiled. Could any man influence you one way or another? As far as I can make out, you are beyond mortal influence. A pause ensued. Morrison threw the last thing into his trunk. Well, I am ready. Everything is settled. How about your statues? Shaw. Morrison shrugged his shoulders. Nobody was interested in them while I lived. What should I bother to think what might become of them after my death? The author nodded and scowled at the same time. He was not satisfied with the answer, but there were still other things in his mind. He was used to analyze everything to shreds and tatters. Are you not afraid that you might make a botch out of the whole job? Morrison weighed the question in his mind, then shook his head and answered. No, there is hardly a chance for it now. I have been tuned up to it, trained myself to it, so to speak. The fruit is ripe. It has to fall. It would be awful, though, he added with an afterthought. Do you remember my emerald ring? I had to pawn it, but I kept the poison which was hidden under the stone. I will take that if anything goes wrong. Would you object to my company? asked the tall lean man. I mean, until all is over. I, myself, am not quite ready yet for any such hierarchical performances. Oh, don't think of it, the sculptor ejaculated, notwithstanding the tone of his voice indicating that he would not object, that he would even prefer a traveling companion for the last few hours of his life. Well, I will go with you. Where are you going? To New Haven. It's a nice trip. Morrison carefully brushed his hair and clothes. There came a flush of his face as he realized how shabby his clothes really were. The tall lean man was delicate enough to look away as if he had not noticed anything. A few moments later they left the room. Morrison locked the door and they went out into the street. They did not talk much, merely commonplace phrases that did not bear upon the subject. Both were occupied with their own thoughts, and strange thoughts they must have been. They leisurely strolled to a store of sporting outfits, bought a revolver and cartridges, had their shoes shined in the next corner, and slowly wandered away toward the depot. Their actions were almost mechanical. Suicide is an attack of insanity, a sort of mental plague. If one has caught the fever, one is doomed. There is no escape from it. At the same time, it is contagious. The literary man was somewhat infected by it. All his interests in life seemed to be dulled, obliterated as it were. He could only think the one thought. Morrison is going to kill himself. But who knows, he may, after all, turn up next week with the excuse that he had changed his mind. No, not he. It was really too bad. Morrison, on the other hand, grew quite cheerful. With him, the idea that he would do it had become so matter-of-fact that he ceased to think of it. Nothing could influence him any more. Even if some vague current of soul activity should revolt at the very last moment, he was certain that his hand would mechanically perform the task. Only one return ticket, who whispered as he approached the ticket office. Oh, I almost forgot, replied his friend. During the trip, they silently sat upon each other, smoking. Now and then, Morrison pointed out the beautiful sights. He seemed to be familiar with the scenery. At their arrival in New Haven, at dusk, a day at once adjourned to a hotel and sat down at a table in the barroom. They began to talk about art, 
They discuss commercialism, the lack of appreciation, and the vanity of all serious work, at least as far as art is concerned. They began to relate reminiscences of their starting years, and review the hopes and ambitions of the youth. If they had been realized, what wonders they would have accomplished. I gave the other side a chance. They never responded. I waited for ten long years, and now it's all up. Let us have another drink, waiter, the last. They clinked glasses. And now for a decent departure, as in the good old times, when Cajicius, the Cyrenaic, preached suicide in Alexandria. They arose. It had grown dark. They sauntered forth into the night. Morrison seemed to know where he was going. I once spent very pleasant days out here, he explained. Years. I hardly remember how many years ago. After that, they did not converse anymore. They finally arrived at a beautiful avenue of old elms that extended far into the country. Its deep, dark vista was lit up only by the shimmer of a distant lake. Morrison stopped, seized his friend's hand, shook it, and said in a firm voice, Goodbye. Goodbye. And Morrison walked away. It was so dark that in a few moments his form became invisible. Only his footsteps could still be heard. They grew fainter and fainter. The tall, lean man stared after his friend into the blackness of the night. His eyes grew dim. A few raindrops fell on his face and hands. I hope it won't rain, he murmured. It might make dying more difficult. But no, the sky is clear. Then he slightly bent forward and listened eagerly. Everything was calm, motionless, as in suspense. Nobody passed through the avenue. Only in the adjoining side streets pedestrians flitted by like ghosts. So this was the end. After having struggled bravely for years, after living up to high ideals as well as one could, to go down a long dark avenue, a falling star flashed across the treetops. The tall lean man pressed his hand to his heart. Although he was not certain of having heard the report, he felt that his friend had arrived at the goal of his life's journey. The game was up. End of section 17 Recording by Mario Pineda End of Mother Earth, Volume 1, Number 4, June 1906